Welcome to this episode of the Entangled With podcast, the podcast about quantum technologies for scientists and science enthusiasts. This episode is being hosted by myself, Karis, and Julian, first-year PhD students at the University of Bristol in the Quantum Engineering Centre for Doctoral Training. Today's guest is Mattia Ferrantini, who works at Cambridge Quantum Computing. Mattia is a physicist by training, and present day, he is head of machine learning and quantum algorithms at CQC. In this episode, we will introduce quantum machine learning, discuss why it is exciting, and where it is predicted that we will see the most advantage. We will also discuss working in a commercial environment, and finish with some advice for anyone keen to get into this field. Welcome, Mattia, and thanks for joining us. Could we start with a little introduction of yourself and your background? Sure. So, uh, I'm Mattia Fiorentini. Um, I, I work at Cambridge Quantum Computing. Um, my current position is that I'm the head of the Machine Learning and Quantum Algorithm Division, uh, which is um, basically the branch of Cambridge Quantum that it's uh, responsible for um, discovering and really um, expanding on the general purpose algorithmic application of quantum computing. Uh, my background is in physics. Uh, first of all, I studied theoretical condensed matter physics at the University of Milan, and then I got a PhD in computational condensed matter at uh, King's College London. And um, I joined Cambridge Quantum when it was really still a small company straight after my PhD. Uh, and can you, in your own words, maybe introduce quantum machine learning for those out there that are not familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. So um, quantum machine learning, let's say, is a term that um, has not received, uh, let's say, an academic and uh, an official definition yet, at least as far as my knowledge goes. But the way I used to you know, define the boundary of, of, of quantum machine learning is that um, it's, it's, let's say, a way of programming quantum computer, uh, and especially near-term quantum computer, where you, you use uh, a, a machine learning algorithm that mostly run on a classical one to find the best configuration for your quantum computer. Um, so if you, uh, it's uh, inherently an hybrid approach to quantum programming. And it turns out that uh, if you do things this way, you can not only use quantum computer to solve machine learning tasks or problem, such as classification, regression, and so on and so forth. But it's particularly powerful because in fact, we can pretty much write quantum machine learning algorithm that solve uh, any sort of problem. Uh, from partial differential equation to optimization problem, Monte Carlo simulation, and so on and so forth, which are not the typical domain of application of, uh, let's say, classical machine learning. Interesting. Okay, so there are lots of different focuses for research in quantum algorithms. For example, a lot of the budding quantum uh, startup companies are focused in chemistry simulation. We were wondering if you could tell us why quantum machine learning is the most exciting uh, area for you. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, computing uh, is more exciting than the other. It's, it's a very exciting field all over. Um, in fact, um, most of, uh, if, if you, let's say, you're happy with my definition of quantum machine learning, uh, most of the near-term quantum chemistry uh, 
application are in fact exploiting uh, quantum machine learning algorithm to you know to achieve to achieve their goals. So really, quantum machine learning is a technique, is a tool to make the most out of these devices. Um, and, and quantum chemistry uh, can benefit from it just as much as some of the applications that we have already mentioned. Uh, in my view, quantum chemistry, again, is um, what sometimes is called a vertical, so a field in which your entire industry and you know, multi-billion dollar businesses that can uh, that operates into, into the field of quantum chemistry. Well, machine, machine learning and quantum machine learning, it's itself potentially a vertical, a business vertical. So, uh, you know, we have seen that uh, now uh, machine learning and machine learning tool have become so powerful that they are themselves sold as, as something that can be sold standalone. But for quantum computing, it's mainly a, a tool and a programming a way of programming those machines that, that can then benefit uh, many applications, including quantum chemistry. Okay, so yeah, so machine learning is a platform, and then the, the chemistry is the application. And so, so what are the main advantages then that, that we expect to get from quantum computers uh, in in machine learning? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, um, that's an interesting question, right? Um, Quantum computing itself, it's, uh, you know, from an academic standpoint and from really from the point of view and the angle of computer science has been around for a while. We know that uh, powerful quantum computing algorithm exists, such as Shore, Grover, that can benefit pretty much any field. Um, applying quantum computing, we can uh, obtain like low polynomial speed up, which are as a matter of fact, very, uh, very, very desirable and have a very, very, uh, can have a very large impact in, in business and also in engineering application. Uh, for example, for Monte Carlo sampling, Monte Carlo experiment, and so on and so forth. Um, so the long-term view is the one of the speed ups, right? And being able to train more complex and um, bigger models or more descriptive and more articulate models with, um, with less resources, ultimately spending less time. In the near term, let's say, uh, the, what we are aiming to do, it's, uh, let's say, more, more focused. And it's uh, uh, more focused at trying to demonstrate that um, quantum machine learning, which in this case means using quantum computer to embed our model and then train it with, uh, with a classical optimizer on a classical computer, um, can deliver, let's say, more value for money. Meaning, uh, you know, you have a more small data set, you have only limited computational power at hand, and still you see that the quantum computational models are um, very powerful, very competitive with, um, with instead the classical model that uh, clearly have access to larger computational resources. There are papers that argue that um, and that demonstrate that quantum models, so um, models that are quantum machine, machine learning models that are implementing using parameterized quantum circuit are more expressive 
so can learn a function that uh, cannot be represented efficiently using classical computer because they are inherently quantum. We can build this data set, artificial data set to prove that. Uh, they are more trainable uh, and so on and so forth. But again, the key point here is that these are demonstrations are very promising, but uh, at this stage, uh, happens at a small scale. Great. And what sort of data do you expect to see the most advantage from? So is it just kind of large data sets or is it data sets with a particular structure to the data? Sure. No, that's an excellent question. In the long term, uh, and again, meaning when um, the realm of the um, of the polynomial or even the exponential speed up would be accessible to the to the quantum hardware when we will have efficient quantum input output operation using quantum random access memory um, you know it's uh, the prospect of manipulating grid data with quantum computer and to simply um, keeping the interpretation of the model classical but, but training them um, doing inference on them using quantum mean is extremely appealing um, for business purposes, for again, engineering and practical purposes. Um, the structure, as you mentioned, is what we're going after right now. Yeah. Here, we, um, in, the, in the shorter term, we're trying to find problem where there is a, inherently a quantum structure. Um, that uh, can be exploited and can only by the means of quantum computation. And this is not straightforward because by studying this problem, recently a researcher, I found, found out that uh, um, there are classical ways of studying quantum system in a way that even classical machine learning algorithm and classifiers or regressor can do a very, very good job at, at studying those inherently quantum process. So um, I think that this field and studying the field of quantum machine learning, or let's say the field of studying quantum physics with the quantum computer and quantum processes can, can be very beneficial regardless of uh, your machine learning model will ultimately live on a classical or quantum computer. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you've talked about like how we would like exploit quantum machine learning to do those things, but we would have to program it. Like we have, as you said, a hybrid approach. And I'm just curious because for example, for classical machine learning, we have frameworks, for example, TensorFlow that we use to program. And now we have like quantum variants, like quantum TensorFlow, for example. Are those different? Are they, is there much difference between them? Or are the skills sets required for both are the same? <laughs> sure. So. Um, as you correctly mentioned, um, we, uh, you know, TensorFlow is uh, supported by Google. Uh, there are other frameworks such as PyTorch, which have an equivalent uh, quantum one. I think that uh, Torch and PyTorch are supported by Facebook. At the, at the most abstract layer, um, the quantum computing capability have been already implemented. Um, the key point is how the you know the the machine learning the, the computational framework here is the one of differentiable uh, 
Uh, sometimes it's called differential programming, where you have computational nodes with some parameters, and then uh, you manage the way the information flow um, in, in one direction, let's say from, from input to output at inference time, and vice versa when how you do, let's say, back propagation and how you compute the derivatives of the parameter uh, when you train the model. And um, the quantum nodes uh, um, are supported. Um, the way we compute the derivatives and gradients of the parameter of the quantum node are different is different, but that uh, is supported yet. It's not uh, yet as efficient as doing, uh, let's say, full-fledged backpropagation. But uh, at this high level of computation, let's say, things are pretty clear. What happens within a quantum node, it's, uh, it's much more complicated because especially in, in the current era, in noisy intermediate scale quantum computing, um, we don't have perfect control over this machine and over the operation. There is noise both, both at measurement time, at operation time, and uh, there is simply disturbance and inter um, you know, decoherence that can occur because of uh, classical disturbance. So what happens within the node requires, and, and to optimize what happens within a quantum computational node, will require, um, will require significant domain knowledge. Also because, uh, yes, because of all these factors, um, our program are not always guaranteed to give us the right answer, the answer that we are supposed to get. So um, understanding the highest level of a structure is something that uh, any person that is familiar with deep learning and deep neural network and, 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 and programming you know, with this with PyTorch and TensorFlow can understand. The deeper level instead will require uh, more in-depth studies, but uh, it's what I like here to see is how um, you know different fields merge together and how contribution can be made from from very different coming from very different uh, and historically separated fields. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, quantum natural language processing has received a lot of attention recently. Is this something you can tell us a bit about and why people are excited about it? Sure. Well, if you're interested, and for anyone who is interested in quantum natural language processing, the best person to talk with is uh, our, um, let's say, chief scientist, Bob Kuke, who has, um, has been really probably the earliest pioneer of, of the field. Um, so I, you know, I, will, I will try to do my best to synthesize and summarize his thoughts, uh, but, but uh, also his enthusiasm for the field. And I really encourage you to get in touch with him also. He is very good at, uh, at uh, really getting people excited about what he's doing. But in a nutshell, you know, Bob Kuke and, um, and his collaborator um, developed a formalism that uh, maps uh, language to uh, quantum processes, uh, right? And um, actually, at the beginning, he found a new formalism to describe to picturing quantum processes, and then he realized that that formalism is something that can also be very useful to describe language. How to describe language in a compositional manner? So, what does that mean? Uh, you know, the machine learning approach is very much an approach that sometimes is kind of model and agnostic, so we don't know exactly how things work. 
but we just make very broad assumption of how the model looked like, and most importantly, how expensive the model should be to learn. And then the deep learning will do the rest. In compositional, uh, in a compositional approach, instead, it's, it's the opposite. So we are able, by studying text, to really build, to find a formal way of describing the meaning of the text, right? So we are able to really model uh, abstractly in a very precise way without recurring to, to data and approximation, how to picture and synthesize the meaning of, of phrases. Um, and it turns out that those processes are the process typical of quantum mechanics. So which, which is a striking, I think, uh, a connection that really strikes me. And, and, and I found really, really exciting. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what quantum natural language processing is. And it can be done in multiple ways. It can be also, quantum natural language probably can be also done in a quantum machine learning way to some extent. And that's where the connection uh, can be made, but not exclusively. So quantum natural language processing is an example of data with a specific structure that we expect to see quantum advantage with in the near term. The, the key, the, let's say, the, the key intuition is, or let's say the, the key assumption is that, when, you know, uh, uh, that because this process, you know, are quantum, uh, then the best way to implementing those is with, with a quantum computer. Yes, that's the key, that's the key point. At a high level, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's a nascent field, it's thriving, there's a lot of work to be done, so, um, you know, it's not a done deal, but that's the view. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because, like, natural language processing is not the first thing that comes to mind when I think of applications for quantum computers because it's, it's very unstructured. But are there any areas, for example, ML and AI, that might not benefit from quantum computers, for example, natural language processing does, but are there any that mm -hmm. might not? So, so uh, okay, we, let's say, just to simplify the question, um, you're asking me uh, if I know certain fields that may not benefit at all from quantum computing and in specifically in AI and machine learning, uh, right? Or let's say they, that may benefit on a longer time scale. Is that roughly the question? Yeah, so just areas within uh, machine learning and AI that might not benefit. Mm -hmm. And there are any like that we've exactly ruled out that we know won't see advantage. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the uh, the question is tricky because uh, quantum computing is um, at least the, the let's say the gate based type of quantum computing. It's a it's a universal computational paradigm. So if, let's say, assuming that uh, at some point uh, quantum uh, resources will be as cheap, as abundant as classical resources are today, at some point in the future, we can, you know, under this assumption that uh, to some people may sound like fantasy, to some people may sound like, yeah, we will get there the same way it took us, uh, you know, 50, 60 years to get, well, to get where we are today, but let's say it took maybe 20 or 30 years to get decent computer, to get, to put, let's say, general purpose computer, uh, uh, pretty much uh, make them useful for, for everyday use, like what we are doing right now today. 
Um, then um, the answer is that anything will benefit from quantum computer, right? And uh, let's say to, to, to have a more measured approach, I believe that uh, in the nearest term, because you know it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not as straightforward to keep people excited for 20, 30 years <laughs> without giving them anything tangible back. So what is it that is tangible that we, what, which area of machine learning and AI will see the most, the most progress in, you know, in reasonable time scale. Um, generative modeling, it's uh, the area of machine learning uh, that it's uh, the most promising and the one in, in which there will be the largest advantage. An area that I would like to say that uh, it would be difficult to, in the short term to close the gap with, between what GPUs and special purpose classical hardware can do is definitely supervised learning and manipulation of very high dimensional data set, such as, for example, in computer vision. That, you know, deep learning is doing an amazing job. Uh, now many companies have decided to build even more specialized hardware to do that, uh, um, to, to solve those kind of tasks. Therefore, uh, I believe you know that's not something that perhaps in quantum computing we will be um, studying intensively in the next two to three years. I might be wrong, but that's my view. Reinforcement learning and uh, reinforcement learning approaches uh, to AI, of course, they are very promising. Uh, you know, uh, that's an area again where models tend to be huge. Uh, it's an area where um, the, the amount of data that needs to be processed by, uh, by the computer is so large that, again, it's something that perhaps quantum computer, because of I.O. input-output operation, um, may be a bit more um, at the disadvantage, let's say, to classical architect. That being said, um, you know, there are, again, there is recent research that studies that if we were able to, uh, to find genuinely quantum problems, so a problem when our, the environment is quantum, potentially the agents are quantum too, uh, then um, uh, there is an advantage in, in communicating uh, with the environment and with the agent using quantum channel that can achieve um, quantum supremacy basically by uh, compressing information, and, and that's an exciting prospect, I think. But, uh, but uh, generally speaking, again, here we're going back to what you said at the beginning, Caris, which is uh, there needs to be some quantum structure to the problem to, to, to really um, probably to connect better with quantum computers. So again, reinforcement learning to Azulian to, to go back to the question you asked me, is probably, or, or, or general purpose AI is probably something where um, we need to rethink the problem, let's say, to, 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 get, uh, to get any near-term benefit, I'd say. So we know that even for basic quantum machine learning implementations, there are some quite fundamental problems. So for example, barren plateaus in gradient-based learning. 
and also, as you mentioned, working with high-dimensional data, the curse of dimensionality. So as you embed your data to a Hilbert space, which grows exponentially with input data size, this can create issues. Do you see these problems being overcome in the near term, or do you think it will require a change in our approach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, these are good questions. You know, clearly, the, the problem of barren plateaus, it's uh, a key practical aspect of uh, you know, how, you know, we, we know these results about parameterized quantum circuits, that they are more expressive, that you know, and so on and so forth. But then how do we how do we learn the model? You know, if you think about uh, the onset of deep learning, uh, you know, uh, we had similar results. Now, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I never academically studied deep learning, but the idea is that, you know, a neural network with only one deep uh, um, only one hidden layer is a universal function approximator. What, what made people like excited about that result is that nobody knew how to train those given, given a concrete data set, right? We are in a better spot compared to in quantum machine learning compared to the, the let's say the early years of deep learning. And quite a lot of research is being done on, on, on Baren Plateau. In fact, uh, you know, it turns out that quantum convolutional neural networks don't have barren plateaus, right? Because of their bottlenecks uh, structure. Um, it turns out that, uh, uh, let's say, if you have a local cost function, so um, cost function that uh, um, can be evaluated only on a small portion of the model, then uh, as long as your circuit debt doesn't increase uh, too rapidly with the number of queues that, you, that you're adding, then again, you don't have a barren plateau problem. Um, and the key point, I think, of machine learning is that you want at some point to, or let's say machine learning is, is effective on problems where we can understand the structure a little bit. So we have an idea of what the cost in terms of debt of your model, of your circuits, uh, can be. And, and, and that doesn't have to grow too rapidly. Um, so, you know, uh, the problem of Baren Plateau, you know, was kind of pointed out like two, three years ago, and we already have these positive results. Um, also, yes, uh, I would say that uh, we're making, we making good progress. With the course of dimensionality, uh, clearly, you know, that's, um, you know, the, the, the dimensionality, mm, so the way the Hilbert space, the size of the Hilbert space, space scales with the number of qubit, it's believed in, to be useful in certain circumstances. For example, you know, if you want to generate data with a quantum computer, we just need, again, a logarithmic number of qubit to embed histogram, for example, right? Uh, also, with kernel method, it's generally believed believe that having a high-dimensional Hilbert uh, you know, space can, can help. It's helpful. Again, this is very general. Um, what is done in practice is that uh, people try to, again, restrict themselves and, and project uh, their model and what's happening with the model in smaller part of the Hilbert space. There is the this, uh, recent article which is called The Power of Data. Uh, 
uh, quantum machine learning that exactly touch upon that and see that if 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 we restrict and we, we do some projection in the basic then then um, you know we can solve some of the problem that arises uh, by having such high dimensional um, spaces. The course of dimensionality, so the fact that the more we add qubit, the more in general we need sample to collect and train this model. Uh, I think it's again, it's a relatively open question, but uh, again, there are these concepts such as classical shadow, uh, which are again, these measurement schemes that we can apply to quantum system and therefore also to parameterize quantum circuit to extract the value, not all the information, but valuable information, reducing uh, massively the amount of measurement that needs to be collected. So I think that because of all the attention that the field is receiving, um, the piece at which uh, really useful scientific discovery are happening, it's also increasing as well. So it's quite exciting to be a researcher in the field. Okay, great. So many startups, including CQC, are near-term focused. Is this because fault tolerance is simply seen as too far away, or because we expect significant advantage for interesting applications, even in the near term? Or is it simply the pressure on a company to create marketable products in the near term? Yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, the, you know, for any successful endeavor, you know, it doesn't have to be commercial, but even research and so on and so forth, it's very important to find a proper way in which uh, to contribute to the community, right? Academia, uh, you know, historically has uh, long-term views because, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, the key point is to study the right problem, the big problem, the one, the one that regardless of the risk can make the biggest contribution. Um, startup, generally speaking, complement this ecosystem because they take, let's say, the promising ideas that are less interesting to study uh, from an academic perspective and try to fill the, the gaps that often are significant to take those ideas and put them into, into, again, you use the word product, but really a product is something that anyone can use. Uh, you know, the, the key point of academia is that the entry barrier to academia and to the academic system is as high as it gets. You know, you need to have PhD and you need to be trained as a researcher. Here is the opposite. Let take, let's take those things and make them useful for, uh, for everyone. That's a lot of work and that's why, you know, uh, startups are business-oriented. Um, in fact, or company in general, more business oriented. In fact, at Cambridge Quantum, we managed to strike a very good balance because, uh, you know, there is the quantum software team that they are building the software stack to program this quantum computer, which um, encompasses both near-term device and full-tolerant computers. There are teams like mine who are trying to make the most of uh, NIST devices on application that can have an impact, let's say, today, or you know, with products that can be then, let's say, add, used at as let's say subroutine or um, as you know, smaller blocks into bigger, well-established pipeline. There are teams like uh, the quantum natural processing team where they are really, you know, rethinking the problem from scratch 
and um, and uh, you know I have a very ambitious view about uh, you know solving tough problems that that are not being solved yet. So at Cambridge Quantum, we managed to find a, a good balance on on the point you raised about fault-tolerant quantum computer being uh, being too far away. Um, I believe that um, you know that's not not necessarily the case. Um, I think that the view of Cambridge Quantum is that uh, you know to be the leader of an industry, you know we we, we aspire to be, and I think we make difficult progress towards being leaders leaders in the industry. And to be leader in the industry, you need to cover as much topic as possible and being, let's say, the best or you know, at the cutting edge of which one of them. It's very ambitious, but uh, I think it's, it's a goal worth pursuing. In fact, there are other startups, uh, you know, that uh, have, take, have decided that they're not going to focus on near-term devices and and will focus just in, on, on the longer term. So I think that both approaches are viable because these this, other stuff are being extremely successful uh, to a tracing body. And again, the, 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 the trust and the confidence from investors. So yes, I think it's, a, it's more you know, a vision of, of how we want the, our, our company to be. Mm-hmm. Do you have a kind of application in mind that you are most excited about in the near term, or is it just open for you? Mm. Um, I think that um, you know there are there are a few. I think uh, I won't talk about quantum chemistry, although that's clearly very very exciting. But uh, you know, let's say using quantum computing for doing, let's say, first principle study of, uh, of material and physical system is very exciting. Uh, and quantum machine learning again is, is a tool that can help there very much. Um, we have done some work in optimization and you know it's exciting to see that quantum algorithm can be genuinely, can provide genuinely new heuristic to solve this very tough problem that, we don't believe that uh, they can be solved efficiently in a gen- in the general case. Um, I think that you know what excites me are are problems that are mathematically complex, are which means that there aren't there haven't been discovered yet computationally efficient uh, way to solve them. Those types of problems are are. What, what are interesting. And within those class of problems, there is the problem of inference on probabilistic models. So probabilistic models are um, supposed to be one of the building blocks of certain approaches to artificial intelligence, right? They are tough to train, but they are tough to one strain to do inference on them. So inference is the task of uh, gaining knowledge about, about the system, right? In, um, as, as a whole, to, to be able to open it up and to ask specific question and to be able to give uh, answer about future scenario with a certain estimate and so on and so forth. Um, that's a tough problem and uh, you know, it looks like you know, 
one of the things that we started with my team is how to do inference with a quantum computer, which has not was not done before. And we proved that it can be done, and we have reason to believe that quantum computer may show, provided that you know we, we, we take a few steps further in that direction uh, when it comes to research um, and we're studying the problem. Quantum computer may have some some let's say at least attitude, if not an advantage, to solve the problem because um, basically real life scenario are are, are very much decision based and. So yes, no answer or a discrete set of opportunity that we need to pick from. Uh, and, and inference become even more difficult for classical computer when things become discrete. While quantum computer naturally, you know, they work by defining probability distribution over qubits, which are number of, uh, which are binary variable. So it's, it's quite exciting. Those, uh, um, those, let's say, machine learning approaches to artificial intelligence uh, via probabilistic and generative models are, are an application that I find particularly exciting. Also because being, again, uh, being field in which the problem of big data is partially circumvented, so we don't need to move big data around, it's something that is particularly suitable, again, because of, because of this for, for near-term devices. So it's quite interesting, I, I believe. Thank you. So you touched a little bit on this uh, when you compared academia to startups, but I wanted to ask you, how did your perception change? Well, how did your perception of the field of quantum computing change as you move from academia to industry? That's a very interesting question. Um, there was definitely a change, and now I need to find a way of concisely describe that. Uh, but uh, um, Let's say the focus of academia is uh, you know, the way I think, at least I was perceiving uh, work when I was in academia was uh, really a focused, uh, quite individual effort in trying to make, uh, um, let's say, small, but, uh, but let's say even atomic contribution, let's say, to the field. But nevertheless, again, uh, I think this, 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 this atomic adjective is quite interesting in the sense that the contribution that cannot be, let's say, they won't, won't disappear, things that won't be just a moment, uh, the hype of the moment, you know, contributions that are everlasting. Um, while in, um, and, you know, and the weight, uh, and yeah, I think that that was my perception. When moving on to startups instead, the contribution becomes much more of a teamwork uh, because uh, there are budgets, there are expectations that are not personal expectation or the expectation of your supervisor, let's say, but the expectation of, of really um, many stakeholders who have very different view, timeline, interest, and so on and so forth. Um, again, I think I mentioned deadlines, but that, that's quite key. Um, and the way of delivering meaningful contribution then shifts. So it's a teamwork. It's a teamwork that different people with diff very different skills that have to come together 
and they have to come to terms and agree on how you know to deliver the whole project or what their role will be uh, how much they can contribute you know and 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 uh, and so on and so forth so my perceptor changed a lot and i started valuing more the fact that uh, being able to um, you know, understand what other people compared to me um, thinks uh, is meaningful to achieve in this field on which timeline. They can be investor, they can be prospective customer, they can be colleague that works in, in, the, in, 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 in field that in academia would be considered very different. And try to find the right balance to what, you know, as a, you know, the, you know, as a domain expert, I believe is more worthwhile with what other people believe it's, it's more interesting. And therefore, you know, breaking big problem into smaller one and being in the habit of, de of delivering, let's say, incremental step, which compound and then which, you know, if, if done properly, they, they can really push this field and, 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 and accelerate the field quite dramatically towards, uh, uh, you know, something that can be deemed successful by, by a community, again, of, of people who think and view things quite differently. Okay, interesting. So we wanted, kind of on a similar note, to ask your opinion on whether the kind of increased competitive nature and then the, the introduction of more delicate issues of things like IP concerns helps or hinders progress in this field. So if I understand the question correctly, you asked me how the, the more commercial aspects of, you know, what, what a startup does, and again, IP protection and some level of added secrecy, what, what's, what's the impact on the field? Well, first of all, again, um, especially at Cambridge Quantum, we, you know, the core scientific team are mostly academics, so people who decided to transition from IP to do pretty much the same job, but with slightly different, uh, let's say, details um, and practical details from academia into the private sector. Um, I think that 100% of our research is published uh, and is published on peer review paper because that's that's what what's important and and. Uh, in our ethics, we believe that um, when it comes to this deeply scientific or deeply technical subject, um, you know, <clears throat> still there needs a level of ground truth and be need to be assessed. And and peer review is a, is an accepted way of validating that. That's very important to us. So IP, let's say, protection comes more and, and some level of secrecy, let's say, to, 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 to have a commercial edge, I think comes into play when really there are commercial interests on both sides. So the key point is that is if somebody is going to make money out of it, I think it's fair to just reclaim our fair share of it. Um, so in this case, I don't think that IP protection and at this stage, you know, some kind of, again, way of, of, of protecting know-how for commercial purposes is, is having a detrimental uh, impact. Actually, you know, the fact that 
we are perceived as scientists which understand the commercial aspect of things, makes um, investor, uh, let's say, more willing to, to invest in us because they say, you know, we, we, we in a way want to support this science, but we trust these people to, let's say, switching from scientists to more like product-based work as soon as, uh, you know, there will be the commercial case. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, you know, that scientific work and more commercial or, uh, you know, applied engineering work, uh, they, they're, they're very different, you know. Um, they're very different. So um, there, there are certain efforts that needs to be taken in order to take science and make it usable by everyone that, that are non-scientific. And therefore, I think they can and still take out fine, a lot of effort and they take you know, teams of tens, if not hundreds of people to do so. It needs to be paid salary. So I think that uh, in this case, uh, at least at this stage, things are working together. Clearly, maybe if I can take your, your question a step further, um, you know, when there could be ethical concerns, you know, uh, I think we need to be mindful of that. There could be ethical concerns in, it, in using this technology as any technology. For example, you know, should uh, the access to very powerful medical devices or very, uh, you know, powerful and, and, and potentially expensive to synthesize drugs be completely free or should be paid for, you know, I think that th these are very legitimate ethical concerns. I think that with quantum computing, we are not at the stage where there is any any real ethical concern uh, because it's mostly, again, scientific and really advancing the industry. Um, but we will get to that stage. We'll get to the stage because, uh, you know, when quantum computers will become and quantum algorithm and quantum software will become to systematically outperform classical one, then, uh, then we'll have a clear view of which application and which, you know, day-to-day um, -day activity will be mostly impacted. Clearly, if, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we'll be able to only, you know, to, uh, again, I, I maybe I shouldn't enter into the details, but depending on that, then, then which we, sh we should have some, you know, serious ethical distraction. If clearly, you know, quantum computing can make uh, drug discovery ten times faster, therefore, again, many many times cheaper, uh, we should make sure that that is reflected in the price of the drugs. If uh, artificial intelligence become powered by quantum system become very powerful, uh, then we should make sure that uh, these artificial intelligence are serve the people, that they, there are no scenarios in which this artificial intelligence can, let's say, surpass or bypass human judgment. Um, but uh, the way I think about it, that these concerns are very domain specific. So uh, in a way, it's not too much, it wouldn't be too much the obligation of the quantum scientists to stop their scientific export um, because of ethical concerns in the application. But there should be, you know, the body's concerned with regulating those applications that will have to make sure that things stay fair and, and inclusive. Yeah, thank you. So switching a bit from the business side to the more teamwork aspect that you mentioned, 
So uh, as well, you mentioned before that progress in quantum computing requires expertise from many different fields, including physics, mathematics, and computer science. And specifically for quantum machine learning, are each of these expertise equally weighted? Uh, and what are the proportions, for example, in your team for, from each discipline? Sure. Um, so, in, so in my team, uh, yeah, no, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Um, I think that they said the, the skills in which there needs to be some level of proficiency, you mentioned that, you know, machine learning is, uh, again, it's quite interdisciplinary itself, but say classical machine learning and the four, you know, good programming level are, are, are definitely very, not very, but uh, they are important. There needs to be a good standard when it comes to code uh, reliability, validation, verification, and then being able to share and re reuse that. Knowledge in machine learning, it's, it's, it's important. Um, knowledge in fundamental quantum mechanics is important. So, you know, the basic formula is, you know, the um, sometimes called first quantization, and that's, that's quite important too. Uh, physicists, computational physicists, tend to be quite versatile in their nature, so I think that they are quite good. Um, in my team, there are people, you know, so, you know, that background, I think, is quite, for me, it's a background also maybe I have some bias because it's a background that I understand. Um, and I, I think it can work, so. But also people that have, uh, let's say, focused, uh, let's say, switch maybe from, from physics and they have a physics background to machine learning, I think they can do the job pretty well. Um, I think software engineering can be very useful when it comes to, in a commercial organization, always to simply improve the quality of the software, respectively of who build the software. So, so yes, you know, again, multidisciplinary scientists, I think they are the most valuable uh, kind of profiles for now. Thank you. And do you expect this to change as the field progresses? As you mentioned, like currently, all people like working on quantum computing are mainly PhDs. Do, do you expect this to change? I would expect so. I would expect so because you know the, you know the. I think that uh, as we as we as the field develop, there will be more people concerned, perhaps with the more computer science and computational theoretical aspect of this problem, and then people that will be more concerned with uh, certain, again, quantum mechanical aspect of their system. Again, we, we maybe a little bit more of an engineering view. There will be people that will be concerned more and more with the application, understanding the methods. There will be people that will dedicate their time only to develop better methods, so there will be a degree of specialization. On which scale this degree um, Specialization will happen. I don't know. I think that uh, in the past year or so, I've seen let's say academic group propping up in most of the let's say advanced economy, which have quant a quantum machine learning focus. Um, so that's I think the first level iteration, having PR principal investigators and postdocs that 
become expert in the matter and systematically advance the field through scientific discovery. And these people will train almost at the same time the PhD. Um, once, let's say, that field will be established, when people will start uh, um, uh, writing books about that, uh, when, let's say, every university almost will have a quantum machine learning group, then I'd say that at that stage, and it could happen in a few years, let's say, um, most probably there will be standard courses in quantum machine learning. And at that, you know, knowing the time of academia, maybe five, six years from now, we could have more than one university offering uh, quantum machine learning oriented curricula uh, for maybe master's student, I suppose. Um, and, you know, that would be the time in which you wouldn't definitely need a PhD. By that time, I, I expect that uh, a PhD won't be the only way of, uh, let's say, um, having a thriving career, you know. I honestly see my day-to-day -day that, uh, you know, the, the motivated people, the people that went very deep and very focused during their master's in uh, in a specific machine learning topic, perhaps connect to artificial intelligence, connect to generative modeling, and so on and so forth, that can have a very successful internship period, even extended internship period, you know, six months to one year, and then move on to become very um, successful PhD student in the sense that they did get, you know, scooped up by, by the key, you know, you know, in, in very prestigious academic uh, posts because they, 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 they have uh, experience in the field. Or when it comes to computational physics, instead, uh, uh, again, um, master's student that studied those computational methods that are close to quantum computer, the studies probably are related to quantum computer, and therefore that they can uh, maybe refocus a little bit doing an industrial internship, and then, and then again, really enter the PhD with a strong research proposal that is, you know, seen very favorable, very favorably from, from, let's say, from the supervisor. Okay. So, as our, our final questions, what advice would you give to someone hoping to get into the field of quantum computing? So, my advice would be. Um, uh, it probably was in closing the previous answer. Uh, there are certain topics that maybe, again, I can repeat for your benefit, which is, uh, again, generative modeling, you know, probabilistic modeling, machine learning. Uh, it could be computational methoding in, in, uh, in, in quantum physics that uh, have been proven very successful uh, as studying, uh, again, quantum systems such as tensor network. Uh, for example, these are, I think, two prominent fields or trying to do a master with, uh, with uh, a master project with a supervisor that have publication in the field of quantum computing, right? I think that the master thesis is, there, is a great opportunity and, 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 and try to go deep. I would say, uh, I know that unfortunately, uh, you know, studying in academia has become very expensive. So, 
and and that's that's not not that's not good I, I believe so people feel like they have to really stick to the time you know and 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 do as much as possible as quickly as possible but maybe if there is a possibility try to tailor your course of study towards uh, um, again something that is focused on quantum computing and maybe cut uh, a little bit where possible uh, on, on, on other things that are not related that much so that because that is what is is what's uh, more more important you know if even one doesn't have a complete view in quantum computing but was able to do to go, get as close as possible to a research rather level in a very specific subject then it would be easy to study other advanced topics or perhaps just it would be very easy to get um, uh, you know a knowledgeable and more experienced person to just take you as again a student to advance that specific thing. So you know, being focused, trying to go deep, try to go at the casting edge, and again, given that unfortunately uh, you know things have become expensive, maybe tailor your curriculum as much as possible towards that uh, as soon as there is a possibility of choosing. Right, um, that probably could could could, uh, could be helpful. Okay, great advice. Thank you. That's all our questions. Thank okay, you. Uh, thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Zulian.